just speaking from my own experience and the experience of countless others that I've had conversations with about turning a negative into a positive, making the most out of moments of adversity. The thing that, that helped them was them, was deciding to change who they were and deciding to change the course of their life. And I think when we've experienced hardship growing up or we've, had, we've been dealt a bad hand, we, we develop this mindset where we feel like we're owed all this stuff. The reason I think it's so important is because when you relinquish control and power onto somebody else, you lose. Because now you're putting all your hopes into things you can't control and it's in the stuff that you're really powerless over. And you are essentially just giving away any responsibility or accountability and then you feel like the world is against you and owes you things and I think you'll start to behave in that way. I think just really getting good at mastering these mental prisons that we live in when we are in dark times is the way to win. And the reality is like things change and you just have to take it day by day week by week and just take small steps and keep celebrating those small wins right and just to keep putting one foot in front of the other and even though you can't see light right now even though it seems like really really dark in your situation and the world seems against you just keep moving forward one step at a time one day at a time and then i don't know when i don't know how but light will come light will come but you just have to keep believing in yourself and focus on how far you've come and not how far you have to go That was Doug Bops, an award-winning personal trainer, author, speaker, and business owner who's changed countless lives from his message of using your disadvantages to your advantage and overcoming anything in life. Doug is a former drug addict and convicted felon who found transformation while serving jail time. He turned to drugs at 14 years old as a way to cope with an emotionally dysfunctional and broken home life, including abuse, severe bullying, and the challenges that come with parents of divorce. This led him down a spiral of addiction and selling drugs, and he was eventually pulled over and caught with drugs in his car. What seemed like the worst day of his life turned out to be his greatest blessing. Doug used jail time to transform himself both physically and mentally. He has now been sober for over a decade and is the author of three personal development books, including From Felony to Fitness to Free, and is host of the podcast, The Adversity Advantage. His story is living proof that even the most challenging of experiences can lead to personal growth, success, and transformation in life. I'm all about mindset being a key to overcoming adversity and empowering ourselves from victim to victor. How we think about ourselves is a strong determinator of our reality. Doug speaks a powerful message in this conversation, and I hope you find inspiration from this episode and harness the power within you. So let's get into it. Welcome to the Ellen Fisher podcast. Welcome to the podcast, Doug. I am excited for this conversation, and I'm excited for you to be able to share your story that has impacted so many people. Um, so firstly, before you get into that, can you share a little bit about like what made you become so passionate about sharing your story to help others? Ellen, thanks for thanks for having me. And it's I know this has kind of been a long time coming. We've been going back and forth for a little while trying to make this work. And I just wanted to thank you once again for having me on with everything that you have uh, going on in your world. And I guess for me, like the main reason that I've been so passionate about sharing my story is because like back in I guess it was like 2018, 2019, like right around that time frame, the drug epidemic here in the United States was horrible. Like before the pandemic, like the main talk in the news was the opioid epidemic and people were overdosing left and right from heroin, fentanyl, painkillers, like everything. Hasn't it only gotten worse too? Or, how, or do you feel like, like I don't, I haven't kept up enough with it, but. Yeah. I mean, obviously I think the pandemic has caused some 
repercussions in that field. Like when people, I think people were, it was harder for people to get access to see a psychiatrist and get treatment. And then you had people that were, were stressed about finances. They were stressed emotionally. They were stressed mentally. And then you throw in like isolation and you're not able to, to be in community. You're not able to go where you want. There's all this uncertainty and fear, which for many people is the main reason why they get hooked on drugs in the first place. It's because they can't deal with the discomfort that life brings. So it's, it's an easy win to numb out with drugs sometimes. So, you know, a few years ago, I, I saw like headlines all over the place. And I had a lot of friends that were impacted by this. And my route, as far as getting into recovery was not was pretty non traditional. Like I was in jail on felony drug charges when I just when I decided that I wanted to, to transform my life and, and not use drugs again. And then I got out of jail and health, fitness, changing my, my friends, changing my environment, personal development, um, you know, spirituality came a little bit later, but like a goal setting was important to me as well. Like, like those, those things were something that was kind of unique in that I, I implemented these things and I didn't go to AA, didn't go to NA, uh, didn't go to treatment. And I'm not against any of that. It just wasn't my path. I was kind of scared straight from going to, to jail. And I also had this, I guess they call it like a spiritual awakening. Like when I was there where I had this aha moment that I finally had some developed some self-confidence, some self-esteem, um, this, this discipline that I never had through, um, getting into to health and fitness when I was, when I was incarcerated. And I know we'll get into that in a minute, but with that said, I was like, man, like if health and fitness and, and changing your friends and believing in yourself more and having some faith in your life, if all these things have worked for me to help recover from addiction and improve my mental health, like I, I bet there's others that can relate to this because from what I understood at the time, the 12 step programs, which again, I think helps so many people and I have nothing against them. That was like, that's like the, that was like the main form of, of treatment and recovery for a lot of people. And a lot of people I think felt that it was either go to AA or NA and go to these meetings or like there was nothing else. And so I wanted to share that, like, listen, like there's a lot of parallels that exist between the way I did it and the AA and NA, but here are some things that I believe are crucial to thriving in recovery. And it, it started again with health and fitness, changing who you spend time with, being goal oriented, having some gratitude in your life, getting spiritual and having like this immense level of self-awareness. And the reason that I thought my story was so powerful was because like, I think one of the biggest mistakes people make when they get into recovery is they don't figure out how to develop healthy coping mechanisms. And they don't learn how to deal with the underlying root pain, trauma, circumstances, whatever it was that led to their addiction in the first place. And so I wanted to help inspire people to use things like health and fitness, to use things like community, to use things like spirituality, purpose, meaning, um, to be able to not only deal with a lot of the stuff that weighed them down, that led them to, to drug addiction, um, but also use that uh, to really thrive in a way that they weren't just getting sober, people were getting healthy. So that's in a, in a nutshell, like why I thought my story was so unique 
and it was it was powerful enough that I thought I needed to to stand up and have a voice and start talking about it. And you know, initially it's tough to share your story, right? Especially with something like mine where I was a convicted felon, uh, incarcerated on felony drug charges, I had a horrific drug addiction, um I was depressed, anxious, suicidal thoughts, damaged relationships, never had a girlfriend in high school, torn relationships with my family, 21 jobs by the age of 21. Like I can go on and on with all the, the baggage in my life. And you sometimes sit there and you wonder, like, if I put this all out there, like, am I ever going to get married? You know, will everybody, will anybody ever like take me seriously in life? Or like, what are my friends going to say? What's my family going to say? And I really had to come to terms. I know you are good about like speaking your truth and like, like owning like what you talk about. And it's just like, you accept, you accept that for what it is. And then you just don't let the opinions of others bother you in that. Like I, I had to really get crystal clear with, with the fact that people who were going to kind of, kind of shit on me for sharing what I shared and judging me based on my past, were just not meant to be in my life in my future. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's absolutely a huge part of it. And I can imagine on top of that, like seeing such a transformation in your own life and looking around and being like, <clears throat> why aren't people talking about this? We need to, I need to get this out there. And then coming to term with yourself about like, what's this going to look like for me to be vulnerable and put myself out there. And it really is just a stepping stone that over time it makes you stronger. And I think it really does. It's helped me over the years, you know, putting myself out there and just sharing what I'm passionate about or what I want to talk about, you know, just being able to handle like other people are going to have their opinions at the end of the day. Like, that's okay. That's, that's all, that's all, all right with them. They're allowed to have their opinions and you can have your own opinions. Yeah. And I, and I think it's, you got to start small. You know, it's not like I just woke up one day and I appeared on some like big podcast or a big media outlet, like the next day, you know, I think it, it just started with me starting to organically share it like locally here with even like some of my personal training clients speaking to groups at schools, um, even like doing uh, some local media here, getting featured in the newspapers here that gave me, I mean, again, it gives you like this self-confidence and affirmation that you're heading, heading the right way. Like if nobody aligned with my story here and they were like, ah, like it's all good. Like the fitness thing just doesn't matter. Like, you know, everybody's parents are divorced. Like everybody gets bullied, you know, gets bullied in school. Like, I don't care. Like it doesn't matter Then I would have been like, eh, well maybe like speaking and sharing my story, maybe, maybe it's just not that relatable, but the opposite happened almost, it was almost shocking. Like how much people related to my story and would come up to me and like, just talk about how much it, it impacted them. And I still, to this day, it just feels kind of funny to me because, and not, and not that I don't think I have achieved something great. Cause I, I obviously I, I think what I've been able to overcome is, is meaningful, but I just always, I've always seen myself as just a regular person, just having a regular conversation. And like, even like today, like I don't have an agenda, like I'm just here to serve. I'm here to, to just share openly and authentically to help your audience. And I think that's why people have, have really begun to relate to me in that I'm not, I'm not, I don't have bullet points. I'm not like here to sell a product. I'm just, just here essentially just to sell hope. Yeah. Well, okay. So let's back up a little bit. Can you share with everybody listening or watching your story, your childhood, what led you to using drugs as a coping mechanism? Just explain and elaborate like your history, your background. Right. So as I, I kind of hinted at, 
um, a few minutes ago and, and why I was so passionate about sharing my story, it's because I, I wanted to help inspire people to not only get into recovery or, or get into sobriety, but also find new tools and coping mechanisms to deal with the reason that they chose to use drugs in the first place or what led them to their addiction. And the reason I'm passionate about that is because growing up, I did the opposite. And I, I as I look back, I, I, look, I, I was clearly just trying to escape. I was trying to escape. I was trying to run away from a lot of the pain and the trauma that I was facing. And, and what the pain and trauma looked like for me was um, I didn't have a girlfriend at all in grade school. My parents got divorced when I was five, and it was a very rough divorce. Uh, I was bullied in school. I was picked on. I was told that I looked like I had Down syndrome um, when I was in grade school, and, and, and that really brought me down. So I, I started to develop this what's wrong with me mentality because my parents were getting divorced at a time where I'm 30. I'll be 35 here in a few months, where this is nearly 30 years ago where the divorce rate isn't wasn't nearly as high as it is now. So I was one of the only kids in my friend group whose, whose parents were divorced and I was having to spend time at different places. So that happened. And then I loved sports, loved watching sports, loved playing sports, um, loved reading the newspaper even when I was a kid. But I was as, as un, unathletic as they came. And I was always kind of picked last for different sports things, cut from the, the elite sports teams. And again, and developing this what's wrong with me mentality. And as I, as I grew up, I started to initially cope a little bit with food where I would eat a little bit more of the unhealthy food than my friends did. And I started to get like a little pudgy when I was 12, 13 years old, something like that, 10, 11, 12 years old. I started to get like a little bit of a belly and I'm having to wear like now husky pants. So again, like the what's wrong with me? Like, why am I feeling this way? Why am I different than my friends? Like I'm essentially doing pretty much the same thing as them. And I'm also setting myself up to be a victim because I'm like questioning like why all this is happening to me, right? And so when I was 14, I got my first true chance to escape when my neighbor offered me a hit off a marijuana pipe. And I remember taking my first hit and I felt this massive monkey come off my back. Like I didn't have to worry if I was ever going to be good at sports, I didn't have to worry if people would stop picking on me. I didn't have to worry what my family dynamics were going to look like. I didn't have to worry what success was going to look like. I didn't have to worry about anything. Like everything was gone. It was taken from me. Now, mind you, like I never thought in a million years that when I first started smoking pot, that I would eventually end up in jail on felony drug charge. Like nobody does because if, if everybody knew that that was it, like a plus B equals C, like people wouldn't, start smoking pot if they knew where the outcome was going to be. And what I, what I found was I didn't necessarily like being high. I liked the feeling being high gave me. I liked the numbing feeling. I liked not having to worry about anything. And that became very addicting. So started to, to smoke every day and started to develop a bit of a habit and then started to sell a little bit on the side to make a little bit of money to support my my pot habit. And then on my um, 16th birthday, and the, up until my 16th birthday, there had been a, a couple other bad decisions I made when I, I had a party when my mom was in the hospital um, and the cops came, busted it, ran from that. So that damaged my mom and I's relationship because at the time, like I said, they were splitting custody. And then um, not too long after that, on my 16th birthday, 
I was weighing out a little bit of pot to sell to my neighbor. And my mom walked in as I was doing it, freaked out, as you can imagine. Again, this is like, what, 20, almost 20 years ago where pot, like pot back then was pretty bad. Like it was very stigmatized. It wasn't like mm -hmm. it is today where, you know, a lot of people right. are doing it recreationally and legally. And she kicked me out. She told me I was forced to go live with my dad full time, which broke my heart because my dad and I had a horrific relationship growing up. Wow, that must have been really difficult. It was horrible. I mean, I said some things you would never like a mother would never want to hear from her son ever. Mm -hmm. And um, it, it was a very painful moment for me because I felt well, so I think like as parents, like as, as a mother, like you kind of have the duty to understand that, like my child's developing and like might say things they don't mean or in the moment in the heat of something, but ultimately don't really feel to the deepest parts of their soul. But as a child that's developing, like to, to be kicked out, you know, for like a mistake that you've made and to basically like be disowned as like, I'm not going to be raising you anymore. That must have been ex extremely difficult. It was because for a few reasons, one, like she knew how difficult my dad was. And because I mean, she divorced, they, they divorced, like she was married to him, like she knew who he was. And then two, I mean, I, I think, I mean, I guess clearly she knew in, in a way that I was struggling. Like I was having a hard time. I was acting out consistently. I was doing drugs. Um, you know, I wasn't able to kind of keep up with my end of the, of the bargain as far as like different job like jobs I had at the time and just even my behavior in the house. But as I look back, like I think she did the best she could with what she had. I mean, I, I know she was going yeah. through a lot with a divorce. She has MS, which I know is, is hard for her as well. Mm -hmm. So yeah. on top of all that, they, they thought, you know, I think the intentions were good. They thought it would be a good idea. Like we're going to just going to remove you from your high school and you're going to go to the high school that was right by where my dad lived, which was like 30 minutes away. And they were like, all right, we're going to change his environment. He'll be forced to change his friends, like start over that sort of thing. Well, now I had all this other pain, trauma, insecurities, fears <laughs> coming with me up until this, into this new high school. So what did I do? I did whatever I could to fit in. Like I was, I came in immediately was like trying to find friends I could get high with so much so that people thought I was a cop because <laughs> I was like coming up being like, Hey, I got, we I got weed. I got weed. I got weed. And they were like, we really don't know you. It was just a very, like, it was like a funny situation. And I ended up uh, making new friends, continuing to become even more addicted to pot. Um, barely graduated high school because all my, my friends and I did were, was ride around, get high, listen to music and just skip class. So I almost didn't graduate because of my poor attendance. And then right after I graduated high school, I decided it was going to be a good idea to start to actually sell pot to make like money, not just support my habit. Um, so, so I did, I started to do that. And then as you move up the ladder in drug addiction and, and drug dealing, you begin to meet people who are doing more drugs. And I met somebody who had some cocaine and he, he, I ended up buying, a, getting, or, or getting a little bit of cocaine. And I remember like, you know, starting to snort Coke and I felt this, this incredible euphoric feeling that I was like, man, like here, this kid who has no self-esteem, no self-confidence, like has no luck with girls. Like this substance can now, now makes me feel like I'm on top of the world. And my addictive uh, behavior caught up with me with that because I started to, to snort that every day, developing a habit with that. And the, and the problem with Coke 
with the Coke for me was I also had like really bad anxiety and Coke and anxiety go about as well together as somebody trying to lose weight and eating ice cream and pizza every day. Like it's just not a good situation. <laughs> and I started to get really bad panic attacks in, um, into my teenage years. And one of my friends, I was like, I think I was like maybe 18 at the time, 17, 18, something like that, 19, offered me a five milligram Percocet. And I took that five milligram Percocet and the same feeling that I got when I first uh, started to smoke pot was the same feeling I got when I took that five milligram Percocet. And then it was like off to the races from there. And this is what really brought me to my knees. Like the five milligrams turned into doing 10 every day, 20, 40, 80, all the way up until I'm snorting three, 400 milligrams every single day up my nose to support my habit. It was so bad that like half my left nostril was missing. I mean, I was just in a really, really dark place. Wow. Yeah, that is, that's intense. Yeah. And what ended up at the time I thought was going to be my greatest setback ended up becoming my, my biggest blessing. And here's what happened. So I'm 20 years old, Cinco de Mayo, 2008. I'm riding around with a few of my friends to make a drug deal. I had a half a pound of pot in my trunk, a couple thousand dollars in cash in the glove box. And I had a busted headlight that I had been meaning to fix for, for months that I didn't fix after, you know, so, so many people told me like, Doug, you're riding around selling drugs. Like you can't ride around with a busted headlight. Like, like what are you doing? So there was a cop running radar because Cinco de Mayo is like one of the biggest drinking nights of the year. And I guess it was like some sort of sobriety checkpoint. And I decided it was going to be a brilliant idea to flash my high beams at the police officer to hide the fact that I had a busted headlight. And so what did it do? It gave him a reason to pull me over. So he pulls me over. My heart at this point, Ellen, is in the pit of my stomach. I'm like, oh, my gosh, my life is over. Like I knew everything that I had in the car. I just, I just knew things weren't going to go very well. Pulls me over. I stammer to get my, my license and registration out to kind of give it to the cop. And one thing leads to the next pulls me out, searches the car, finds the pot, finds the money. And now I'm in handcuffs in the back of a cop car um, facing felony drug charges. And I remember just sitting there, Ellen, and like, I don't know if anybody's ever, anybody who's listening to this or watching this has ever like gone through anything like this where like all of your bad decisions just finally catch up with you. And everything as everything as I'm sitting there just thinking in the back of the cop kind of came before me and kind of came to a head where I was like, how did I get here? Like, how did the kid who just wanted to be loved? How did the kid who just wanted to be good at sports? How did the kid who just wanted to fit in? Like, how did this kid end up in the back of this cop car in handcuffs now facing felony drug charges? And, it, and honestly, it came down to my inability to cope and manage with stress with the trauma, the pain and my emotions, which is again, why I'm so passionate about sharing what I share now. And I end up going to jail and I'm charged with possession, fel felony possession with intent to distribute marijuana possession with it was possession with intent to distribute marijuana, the felony drug charge. I mean, and before you keep going, I think what you said there is so important and pivotal because it was your sense of self-worth and not getting to the root cause of like your feelings and who you felt as yourself that let kind of led you to that dis like destructive behavior, like self-destruction. So how, so how do we, I, I want to hear the rest of the story for sure. But like just what you just said right there, like how 
can we get to the root cause and like help people, especially young people who are maybe going through a ton of insecurities or bullying, um, which is just so common in school. And then add on top of that, like trauma at home, like how, how do we best help young people? And then even people who are like adults listening now. That's a great question. And it's like the million dollar question, right? Because if I had the, the magic answer, I think we wouldn't be facing like a lot of what's going on now. I think right. for me, for speaking from my own experience, like what really helped me was just getting like really clear with where I went wrong because mm-hmm. there was a lot that went on that I couldn't control. Like I couldn't control my parents getting divorced. I couldn't control kids bullying me. I couldn't control whether a girl said yes or no to me. I couldn't control any of that. But what I could control is how I responded to that. Absolutely. You know, and, and and I, I say this because I made the mistake for years in blaming everybody else for my problems, but myself and almost using the way people treated me as a way to justify everything else I was doing to give me a free pass and essentially give me the green light to behave however I wanted to just because people were mistreating me. And what I've learned is that in life, like people are going to mistreat you no matter what. Yeah. It's just the way it is. And so it's how you respond. It's how you respond. And you know, it's, it's tough for kids because what I thought would have made me happy back then I had later in life and it still didn't make me happy. Right. Yeah. It's a very difficult subject to tackle, especially with like developing brains and young children. And if you don't have that modeled behavior in your home life, that makes it all the more difficult to handle like trauma at school. Right. And and you got to also, and it's tough for kids because they're not fully developed, but you got to really figure out like what you stand for or your own identity. Because what I learned is that I didn't have my own identity. I was trying to fit in with the cool kids. I was trying to fit in with the athletes. I was trying to fit in with kids doing drugs. I was trying to fit in here. And what happened was other people started to fill my identity for me. And I didn't know who I was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because I was always, uh, yeah. does that make sense? Yeah. And actually, that you bring it back to something that reminds me a lot about my mom and what she would talk to me about. Because I would come home from school crying often as well because I really didn't have many friends in elementary school and was picked on and and I was just the type of person that I would I was just very bubbly and outgoing and just always wanted to be friends with people so I'd walk up to someone and boldly say like hey do you want to be my friend and then when you're in that age of just insecurities and figuring out who you are a lot of times that's not received well and you know trying to be cool and so I was made fun of and I I would come home crying and my mom would be like you know what though like that's them hurting inside and has nothing to do with you. So you go back out there the next day and you just be yourself, Ellen. And that was like the message she drilled in me every day for my whole childhood. Like you be yourself, you just keep being you and don't conform to other, to whatever everyone else is saying, because, because most likely they're hurting inside and that's why they're responding the way that they are. Yeah. And and that's, that's a really good point. And I think for kids, sometimes that's easier like said than done, you know, like when you're a teenager, yeah. like 13 and you're getting bullied all day at school, like when yeah. somebody's like, yeah, it's just a reflection of who they are, not you. The kid's like, I don't really yes. care. I just want this to stop. And- yeah. It really depends on the severity of it too, like, you know, of how severe of bullying you're experiencing. So, and, and, and each kid's personality and how they're going to be re- able to respond to a message like that, if that's helpful or not. 
Yeah, for I, me, I, it was. <laughs> and, and I think it's important for kids to do what they can to kind of remain strong and not necessarily like in a way where you have to go bench press or squat a bunch of weight, but really do what you can to stay active. And it doesn't have mm-hmm. to be, like I said, in a, in a way where you're going to the gym all the time, but, you know, even trying to keep up with whatever athletics that you're able to do walking, just, just hanging out and hanging out with friends in the neighborhood. And just, if somebody doesn't treat you right, like don't try to convince them to like you, right? Yeah. Like find your tribe and just also know that like the quickest way to get a bully to stop is just to stop engaging. You know, you see that on, I look at like online, like you think yeah. about somebody who's just co- constantly commenting negative stuff on your posts and then you engage with them. Like what happens? They like, keep commenting. But the moment you stop, like you don't, it's like crickets. You don't hear from them again. And it's kind of the same thing with like, I think with kids in school, like one of the ways, I mean, there's obviously many ways to deal with this, but one of the ways is just not to feed into the, the, their fire and feed into the attention that they're seeking. Right. I think the other thing too is to just, just don't be afraid to ask for help and just know that you're not alone. I mean, I know it's really, really hard for kids these days because they feel like weak they feel ashamed. They feel, um, you know, almost like less than when they have to ask for help. But it takes a it takes a really strong person to ask for help. Yeah, shifting the the mindset on what asking for help really means is really interesting and powerful. And then on top of it, what you're saying about kids now, there's social media. Like young kids are on social media. As adults, it's hard to deal with like massive criticism criticism and then take that with like a young child who is dealing with it maybe in person but also online like just exponentially adds to it i think it's really hard sometimes for me to relate to to certain things now the kids struggle with with specifically social media because i didn't grow up in a world of social media i mean i think i, I facebook i think came out when I was like a, I don't remember if I was, I was a junior in high school, senior, or I just graduated. It was like somewhere in that time frame. I mean, but before that it was like MySpace and then like AOL meant it's instant messenger. And like that was, Oh yeah. The, that's how my husband and I started talking was AOL instant messaging. <laughs> there we go. Oh, I mean, we were, we were on, um, we went to the same high school, but we wouldn't talk in person. It was when like, we were just too nervous to talk in person, but we would talk on AOL instant messaging. No one had like smartphones weren't a thing back then either for us. Yeah. And if, and if you're a parent like listening to this and you have a kid that's kind of struggling, I mean, all I can say based on like a lot of the experts I've talked to is there's a few things. One, it, like modeling is so important. Like I, I've learned just from interviewing different people or talking to different people that like your kids will pick up on the way that you manage your own emotions. So if a kid is yes. watching you not be able to, to regulate yourself or manage your own stress, that kid is going to essentially like, like learn that that's how you deal with stress is you deal with it by, you know, freaking out and losing your cool all the time and, you know, drinking and, and doing all these things. And that kid's going to see that as normal instead of like, I think being able to somehow model like some healthy coping mechanisms and healthy conflict and not shying it away either. Like, because I think that's also bad where if you just teach your kids that there's never going to be any conflict, I mean, that's not true. There's, there's going to be conflict. Um, absolutely everything you just said for sure. Yeah. And then the other, the other thing too, is just making sure that you, as parents, you know, that again, this sounds cliche, but you're not alone because I, and I say this, 
it, because there's a lot of parents and a lot of parents who talk to me when they come to me, they think they're alone. They think like, why is this happening to me? Like, I feel like I'm the only one. Like, I don't have anybody to talk to. Um, what are people going to think of me when I tell them? And the, the fact of the matter is there's so many people that are going through it, especially right now with kids that are struggling. So mm -hmm. try to find some sort of support group, whether that's through something like Al-Anon or, I mean, there's plenty of resources even online to connect with other parents who are going through kit with going through something where kids are struggling. And then also I can't, I cannot emphasize this enough is taking care of yourself because, um, we're in this, we're in this world right now where I see it, where parents are almost like taking care of their kids like a hundred percent of the time and not doing anything for themselves. And again, I'm not a parent. I'm not, I, it's, it's, you know, it might be hard for people to listen to this, but well, he's not a parent. He doesn't get it. You're right. I mean, there, there's certain things I don't get right now, but what I do know is that if you don't take care of yourself at all and you're sacrificing your sleep, all of your money, your health, your wellness, like everything for your kids, like you're number one, going to be a mess. Number two, you're going to teach your kids to be a people pleaser the rest of their lives. You're going to teach mm -hmm. their, your kids to be codependent. You're going to teach your kids to not value their own health and wellness as they grow up. And is that really what you want? Absolutely. I don't think you have to be a parent to be able to say that message right. because it's true. Well, it is, it is more difficult to take care of yourself because you're taking care of other people, you know, other little people in the world who need a lot from you. You have to show that, that you have to have boundaries essentially to show that like, I want to help you. I'm going to help you, but I also need to do this. And this is a time where I'm taking care of myself. And that's a really good thing for model, to model for kids where you showing you taking care of yourself and valuing your wellness. Yeah. And, and that also like, I think something else that's really important for people to, to hear is that not everybody's going to like you. Like, and that's a hard thing to, for, to, to accept and, yep. um, you know, take on sometimes because all we want as humans is to, is to be loved for who we are and be accepted, right. And be seen, be heard, all those things. And there's just going to be certain people that you just don't jive with. There's going to be certain people you, just can't be around because they're just constantly negative or they're picking on you or, or whatever. And that's okay. Like you just kind of have to just move on and accept that that person like isn't meant to be in your life at that time. Yeah, absolutely. And that's for not only just for kids, but into adulthood as well. A lot of people, if they aren't learning while they're young, that look, it's okay if not everybody likes you and the importance of like integrity and in, in yourself then they have a, they struggle with that into their adult relationships as well. And it's a really good reminder that that even is a struggle for people, for people's criticisms online that you'll never meet in your life. You'll never even see in their face. It's just a random comment. You'll even know who this person is or what their life is like. And you're, and it's easy to let that one sentence or comment get and affect your sense of self-worth. And how, how interesting is that? Like you'll never see that person you don't even know who that person is. And yet for some people or a lot of people that can affect your own sense of self and how you feel. And so that's why working on yourself and, and your ability to be confident that not everybody's going to like you and that's okay. That doesn't mean you don't accept like constructive criticism or constructive thoughts. It doesn't mean that at all. It's, it's really, there's a difference between like just outright, this person doesn't like you. <laughs> And I think there's there's something there too. Where I heard, um, I think I think it was Joe Rogan said something like, "He's like you never see like Michael Jordan leaving negative uh, YouTube comments." 
And I guess the, the, the take home message I think for that is that like you don't see people who are happy with themselves, seeing success or looking to better the world. Like they don't have the time or the energy to like sit there and just comment on something negative, right? Or oh, to- absolutely. Yeah, that actually there's a message. Sorry to interrupt there, but there's a there's something that a YouTuber had said a while ago. I think her YouTube channel is called Superwoman something. I forget, but she's really cool. And she made a video about you know like negative comments and stuff, and she said that you're never you'll never be criticized by someone who's doing more than you, because that person doesn't have time to criticize you. They're focusing on their own growth and what they can do, what they're working on to better the world or better themselves or whatever, help people around them, as opposed to taking time to criticize or put down others. Right. And I think sometimes we, we feed more into the negative stuff because our brain is like kind of wired for survival. So if we see something yeah. negative, it's like, oh my gosh, like, am I in danger? Like, do I have to fix something? Like, what can I do to change this? Instead of just kind of accepting that, all right, like it's okay. Like if you're on social media and you're posting stuff, there's a chance that you're going to get some hate. There's going to be somebody who doesn't agree with you. There's going to be something that you say during a time of, um, during a time where, when emotions are heightened that, you know, might offend somebody that's okay. Like, but I think what happens Ellen is that people take the opposite approach and like, you know what? I'm just not even going to post anything anymore. I'm not even going to share my opinion or I'm going to actually not even not going to share my opinion. I'm going to change my opinion, uh, even if it's something I don't believe in, just so I fit in. And then what happens? Then you start to lose your identity, which is exactly like what I did yeah. growing up. Like as we kind of like, like get back to like what I was saying is that I knew that what I was doing was not right. Like I knew in my mind that I shouldn't have been like manipulating people to get money for drugs. I knew in Mm -hmm. my mind that I had so much more potential to achieve certain things. The problem was there was this disconnect between like my, my knowledge of that and then the, how to implement it into action and develop self-confidence to be able to actually take these steps to get there because I'm caught up. I was, I was caught up and I think so many other people are caught up in these crazy, gigantic, um, inflated goals from the start instead of like thinking about what you need to do on a daily basis. And it can seem intimidating for me. Like my thoughts were, gosh, I need to stop doing drugs. I can never use drugs again. Instead of like, why not just not do drugs tomorrow? Why not just not do drugs for a week? Like why think of it in terms of like forever? Or I, I was 50 pounds heavier than I am now. I would, my goal was always, I need to like lose all this weight instead of like, I just need to, I need to lose like t- two pounds, three pounds, because it becomes so overwhelming for people when they're like, gosh, like I haven't been able to, to lose like, you know, five pounds my whole life. Like, why would I be able to lose a hundred pounds? And yeah. <laughs> And so this, this is, and this, the reason this is important to me is this, is that jail saved my life. And I think this is kind of an important, maybe an, like a, maybe a, a good segue into like finishing. Yeah. Yeah. Like, Let's get back into your story. Yeah. yeah. And so I got arrested and then was charged with the felony drug charges. A few months later, September of 2008, September 30th, 2008, I go to court and the judge, um, in, in my mind kind of threw the book at me. He convicted me of the felony. He sentenced me to five years in jail, but suspended everything but 90 days, meaning if I 
failed a drug test, if I missed a probation appointment, if I didn't do my community service that he would end up giving me, if I did anything wrong that violated those terms, I could potentially go back and serve the full five years. He gave me five years probation, 200 hours community service, all kinds of fines and drug classes, but he looked me dead in the eye and he said, Doug, you're young. You are, um, you're 20 years old. He said, this felony conviction is gonna haunt you the rest of your life. He was like, so I'm willing to give you a break. And I'm like, break? After what you just told me, like, where's, where's the break? Like, I'm, right. I'm going to freaking jail. He's like, if you complete everything without messing up, you do your community service, you do your time in jail, you do your probation, you, you, know, you, you stay uh, on a straightened path. He's like, at the end of your five years of probation, you can come back to court and I will take the felony conviction off your record and give you PBJ probation before judgment. So then, then no long, I would no longer be a convicted felon. And at the time, of course, I'm like, I'm high in court. I'm going to get high when I leave. I'm like, it's like 2008. I'm like, isn't the world supposed to end in 2012? Like, you know, I didn't think I was going to live to see my 25th birthday. So I was like, well, whatever. Like, I'll take the deal. Like, whatever. You got it. And I reported to jail about a week after my 21st birthday. October 21st, 2008 is when I reported to jail. And as anybody who's listening or watching this, based on what I just told you, where my self-confidence and my athletic ability and self-esteem was, I was scared. Every like thing, every fear anybody has about jail was going through my mind like nonstop, like of what was going to happen to me. And then on top of all the fear, anger, sadness, emotions, I had this horrific opiate uh, habit to kick and, and detox. So when I got to the detention center, I literally cried because I didn't want to go in. But the crazy thing is this, when I, the day I got out, I cried because I didn't want to leave. And when I got there, the first thing, like I said, I had to do is deal with this opiate detox, which felt like having the worst case of the flu for like weeks. And some of the symptoms were like uncontrollable vomiting, uncontrollable bowel movements, shakes, pain, anxiety, depression, sleepless nights, like everything, nausea. But the symptom that I thought was the hardest for me back then, but ironically, I think it's the most important was this feeling of, I felt like I was trying to crawl out of my own skin. Like it was weird. Like I felt, I literally felt like, like a part of me was going to leave Doug's body. It was very strange. As I look back, I believe that it was like the old me trying to leave so that the new me can become whole. And my soon to be cellmate was sitting at the Scrabble table and he looked at me and he could just tell my shoulders were rounded forward. I talked very quietly. I didn't, I was very quiet. I was, um, very, I didn't say many words. Um, I just looked, looked terrified. People thought I was a zombie when I was in there because I was so out of it. But he said, you're going to start working out with me when you get through your detox. And I was just like, huh? Like, there's no way. I'm like, have you seen me? I'm like, I could have been a model for Pillsbury at the time. And I was like, nah, man, I'm good. He's like, all right, man. So not too long after that, I see him work out. And he was like a more, he looked like a more jacked version of Brad Pitt from Fight Club. And I saw, I saw him work out and he was doing like thousands of push-ups, hundreds of pull-ups, like running all over this the common area. And I was like, like, who is this guy? Like, I've been a personal trainer now for like about, about 11, yeah, over well over 11 years now. And he's the most, one of the most fit people I've ever seen in person to this day. 
<laughs> yeah, so he was he was there for years um, for like a bunch of different felonies. I think his thing was he was he was a drug addict too, and I think he would go and, and burglarize homes, and then I guess sell either sell the stuff or somehow to get money to buy drugs. And he had all these felonies on his record, and he was, I believe, I think he was in prison in pencil and Pennsylvania before he was in Maryland with me, and then just by the grace of God, like literally, like literally by the grace of God, he had like, I think violated his parole or something in Maryland to where he had to come back to, to that County I was in, um, while he was awaiting trial for his violation. I think it was something like that. Like it was just mm-hmm. crazy how he was there. And, um, he since he passed away a few months and I actually had the, um, the great fortune of speaking at his funeral. His family had reached out to me after he passed away. Cause he talked about me a lot and how much of an, impact he had in my own transformation that they they knew um that i would want to i would want to know him that he would want me to kind of be there so not too long after i saw him work out we're in the cell and this conversation can i cuss on here yeah okay (laughs) yeah and i think this is i think again this is this is this conversation changed my life and i remember just sitting there talking to him and he's like asking me more about my story he's like like, what brought you here? Like, why did you get so addicted to drugs? He's just asking me different things. And I started blaming everybody. I started to say, well, my parents got divorced or girls rejected me or I was bullied. All these things, again, like I was blaming the things I couldn't control for the actions that I took. And he looked at me and he was just like, quit being a bitch. And I was just like, huh? What did you say <laughs> like, to me? Excuse me? And I'm like, uh, because uh, you – I mean, you, you never want to be called that, let alone like you don't want it's not something you want to be called like when you're in jail. Right. Let alone anywhere. Um, yeah. And, and it, if you're kind of pouring out like what you're struggling with, you you're looking for like you're hoping for maybe comfort and like agreeance like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Right. And, and I guess like at that time I, I was looking for like a conversation where I got told what I wanted to hear. But he told me what he needed to hear and what he proceeded to say. He told me what I needed to hear. And he, what he proceeded to tell me was he's like, Doug, like there's plenty of people that went through what you went through that aren't in jail right now. Right. And I was like, yep. He was like, you have two choices. He's like, you can be a man. Look yourself in the mirror and say that you chose to get yourself here. You made those decisions and it's on you to get yourself out of this. No one's coming to save you. Like no, that's the thing. Like we live in this world where people are waiting for like, you know, different people in their lives are waiting for like, uh, for, like the government, they're waiting for people to come in and just save them. And that the hard truth is no one's coming. Like no one, like I'm a Christian and I believe obviously Jesus can save you from, from, from things, but take the spirituality aspect out of what I'm saying on this earth. Like no one is coming to save you and it's <laughs> on you that if you're in the thick of it, if, if you're in a, a place where you're really struggling, like you have to change the choices that you are making and i don't care how small they are i don't care how tiny they are things have to change like what's the old saying it's like nothing changes if nothing changes right mm-hmm. and when he when he said when he said those words to me i could just like kind of a my, my my brain was completely kind of shut off from everything i was going through but a little spark like started to light up in there and was like man i think he's right like you know up until that point i thought i, I had everything figured out he was like, um, 
I, I, I thought that I knew it all. And I was like, man, maybe, maybe I don't. I mean, I had had 21 jobs at the time I was 21. I would damage all these relationships. I was a drug addict. I'm in jail for felony drug charges. I was hopeless. I was all these things. Like, clearly, I don't have it all figured out. And so he said, you can be a man or you can be a bitch. He was like, you can go be a bitch, go cry in the corner, say, woe is me, blame everybody else for your problems, wait for, you know, people to come save you. Like, like you can go do that. Like, no one, he's like, most people will do that. He's like, so those are your two choices. And for the first time, I felt like invigorated. Like, I felt like, wow, like, I mm-hmm. think that I can actually maybe try and change my life. And I mean, it's so true what you said about how sometimes what you need to hear isn't what you want to hear a lot of times it's when you're kind of hitting rock bottom or you're in like the lowest, the lowest place. And you think, you think, you know what you want to hear or what you think you need to hear, but what you actually need to hear is something that in the moment might be really hard, but it's actually what changes you, changes your mindset and transforms you. I mean, I have that experience even like within birth, like a midwife just snapping me out of it. I know that you haven't (laughs) um, experienced that, but there's something about it that like, in it, it's, I was, you know, in a really low place at one point in my first birth. And it wasn't until my midwife came and snapped me out of it and just said something that just, I didn't want to hear, but I needed to hear. And then that's what transformed me and made the rest of my birth so much better. So just relating to that, that that happens so much in life where what you need to hear is always what you want to hear. Right. And I I think I don't want to like underlie the fact that, that people do go through some really hard things. And people mm. are are dealt some really heavy circumstances that are are painful to deal with, and I can't even imagine right. how hard it is based on what certain people have told me with with their stories. But absolutely, just speaking from my own experience and the experience of countless others that I've had conversations with about turning a negative into a positive, making the most out of moments of adversity. Like the thing that that helped them was them was deciding to change who they were and deciding to change the course of their life. Like not one person was like, yeah, like the government just swooped in. They like gave me all this money and boom, like I was rich. Yeah. You know, this random guy just came and gave me everything. And that's how my life is so much better. Right. And I think when we've experienced hardship growing up or we've had, we've even dealt a bad hand, we, we developed this mindset where we feel like we're owed all this stuff because we, we like kind of fell behind early on. So we're like, ah, like, I'm owed all this stuff. So bet people better like give me things because of how hard I had it. But right. you quickly, hopefully, hopefully you quickly realize it's just not the way the world works. And yeah, I would think, I feel like it's helpful to even say that, that like, it doesn't mean that you're necessarily saying no one's going to help anyone else just fend for yourself. It's more the mindset of like, maybe don't assume that that's the the way for you to become successful in whatever form success looks like for you. Because, you know, it's like so many people help others. And that's like such a beautiful thing that we should all be encouraging as a society, as people to be helping others in need. But like when it comes to your own struggles, instead of like assuming or saying that like, I can only get to point B if, this is handed to me that that's the damaging mindset. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that, that's just it. Like, and I think I had some help along the way. I mean, I went and lived with my grandparents when I got out of jail and they kind of, they helped me out with food, um, you know, letting me like live there rent free and that sort of thing. But I also had to do my part. Like I had to, you know, work on getting a job. I had to exercise. I had to keep my 
the, my room and stuff clean. I had to respect them and, and their rules. I had to you know stay clean, all those things. Like I had to do my part. And what you said is exactly what, I, what I'm saying. It's not that no one's going to ever help you with anything. It's that you have to almost assume that no one is. And you have to almost like pretend that. And I think when you do that and you, you focus on what you can control and you really own that and you have this, um, this level of self-awareness that's unbreakable as far as like what you know you need to do on a daily basis to become a better version of yourself, like people kind of show up and they kind of help you along the way. But if you, mm, if, you if you adopt the mindset that it's automatically going to happen because you're owed it, that's, mm. what I, that's where I mean I think that people will end up um, kind of falling short. And after this conversation, I decided to give exercise a try in jail. And I got down to do a push-up couldn't do a push-up, could barely do one for my knees. And I was mortified. I was embarrassed because I could also barely walk up and down the steps in there because I was you know, smoking like a pack, packing half a cigarettes a day. And um, my cellmate agreed to train me in there every single day during my 90-day sentence. And we set some goals to, to like run a mile and do a set of 10 push-ups by the time I left jail and with his motivation, encouragement, holding me accountable, like literally like being this amazing coach to me while I was there, I was able to do it. I was able to run that mile. I was able to do that set of push-ups, and it changed my life. And I, it's not the push-ups and everything else like physically necessarily that like led me to having this mindset. It's what they did for me. It got me finally for the first time being comfortable being uncomfortable. I was terrified of what other people thought of me for the longest time in my life. And now I'm in front of a bunch of grown men getting down on the floor and can barely do a push up from my knees. Like how embarrassing is that? But I learned that nobody cares. Like nobody, they may, they might look at you and they might kind of giggle at first, but then once they see you keep showing up, keep showing up and getting better and getting better, it's like almost, they become like your cheerleaders and not necessarily the people that are saying stuff to you because they're like, wow, like either this guy is really dedicated and good for him or, or I wish I was doing it. So maybe I'm going to inspire, I'm going to get inspired to do this. And then you just learn that you adapt this mentality that like <laughs> the things that you think people care about are the things that people don't care about as far as like what, what you're doing. Right. And, and so I also developed self-discipline, which I never had. I was finally able to stick to something and be able to like follow through with the things I said, I was going to do for myself. And that I think is the biggest way to develop self-confidence is to essentially like, just keep your word, like show up for yourself. And there was no better way to, to show myself love than to invest it into my health and fitness. And then the other thing too, was I started to like walk a certain way. I started to walk a different way. My shoulders were now like back a little bit. My head was up. I started to tell, tell myself that I could do things instead of that I couldn't. I started to tell myself that I was worthy of changing instead of that I couldn't. I started telling myself that I was gonna have success even though like up until that point, I told myself that I was gonna be a failure the rest of my life. And the other thing is it, it, ta it taught me the importance of playing the long game. I remember having a conversation conversation with my cellmate one night and I was like, how long is it going to take me to like lose all this weight? He was like, well, how long have you been beating your body up? I'm like a long time. He's like, well, it's going to take a long time, Doug. And so I began to learn that like things didn't happen overnight. And uh, so I had this massive spiritual awakening. I had this, this angel come in and, and really help me during my time in there. And then I had this massive shift physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually to where the day I got out, 
I asked my cellmate like how I was ever going to repay him. And he said, don't mess up and pay it forward. And he gave me a workout routine that I still have framed in my place today. So I never forget where I came from, got out, um, stayed on the, the workout program, um, lost a bunch of weight and then got to a place in my, got to a place fitness wise where I wanted to help other people use fitness to change their lives and uh, became a trainer back in April of 2011 and um, was very blessed to be able to build a really successful personal training business because I found this new high and found this new meaning in helping people use health, wellness, fitness, inspiration to change their lives. And kind of, you know, time flew by and my probation was up um, in September of 2000 and, uh, or was it, or like, yeah, later on in the year in 2013, cause I couldn't remember if it was over when I went to court or after I got out of jail, but my the probation was over towards the end of 2013. And one of my clients just happened to be a lawyer and we wrote the judge, uh, for, uh, to grant me like a modification for my sentence. And the judge got, got back and granted me my day in court. And so in January of 2014, he took the felony conviction off my record and gave me that PBJ because I fulfilled my end of the bargain. I didn't touch drugs. I completed my probation, my community service, um, like everything. I restitution or paid all my fines and everything else. And I never realized how much one's life can change from being like shackled, you know, as a convicted felon, not being able to do certain things and not being a free man. And that inspired me to, to write my first book from felony to fitness to free to inspire people to make the most of their second chance turn a negative, turn a negative into a positive and focus on how far they've come and that how far they have to go. And, you know, ever since then, I've just been on an absolute mission to, to share my story, to help other people use adversity to their advantage and just to give people hope and written a couple other books. We've been voted a fitness hero by the Baltimore sun here. Uh, I've been able to share my story on some pretty amazing podcasts and media outlets. And, and now I'm here kind of talking to you and, and I, I just, I just want people to know that like, I never thought that I would be here, like where I'm at right now. Like I, and I never, I never thought that I think a lot of times we get caught up in like future tripping and being like, man, like how am I going to make it in two years? How am I going to make it in three years? Or what am I going to do? And the reality is like things change and you just have to take it day by day, week by week, and just take small steps and keep celebrating those small wins, right? Because that's what happened for me. Like for me, it was like, I couldn't do a push-up. Then I could do a push-up. What was next? Oh, I'm going to do two push-ups. Oh, what's next? Three push-ups. Then I was able to do 10 push-ups. Then what's next? I'm going to do a set of 20. And then with like running, I couldn't even like barely walk up and down the steps, but now I could like run a quarter mile, then a half a mile, then a mile, then I'm running a 5k. And then it's like, oh, like maybe I'm going to become a trainer now. Like now I have all this confidence. I never have and become a trainer. I'm going to help other people. That gave me some like a new level of confidence. Then I was like, I'm going to write a book, even though at the time, like I barely graduated high school, but now I had this this level of self-confidence and self-esteem to knew that to know that I was worthy. So I'm going to write this book and you can see where I'm going with this, where you just eventually just start stacking things one on top of each other. And then you look back and you're like, how did I get here? And it wasn't because I had some big aha moment and decided to do all this at once. Like I said, at the beginning of our conversation, it was like just these small wins day by day, focusing on how far I've come and, and just, just celebrating things as they go. Yeah. And it really comes down to, coming from a place of living in victimhood mentality versus a victor mentality. And I always like to talk about this in a way that like 
you there's a difference between being a victim to something versus living in a victimhood mentality and something shifted within you based on that mentor essentially who was in prison for you like in prison with you and to me this also makes me think of something I'd love to get your thoughts on is the idea you mentioned a little bit about surrounding yourself with people who are going to uplift you encourage you um and and be a good source of light for you in your in your world and I totally agree but I recently also heard something that was an interesting um kind of way to balance that thought process because it's a that's a very popular thing that's getting talked on not the way you said it but something that's you know very common on social media right now is like cut toxic people out of your life and you know for your own mental health and everything's about like for yourself right but really that that man in prison like he took the time to help you when if he had taken that message that's like all over social media right now like keep the toxic people out of your life like he would have never helped you or planted that seed in you um, that really changed your life and so I thought that was an interesting thing that I've heard basically kind of pushing back on that notion as like we would never say that for anything else in life like rich people don't help poor people like like we, that would never be a slogan right like it's always like encouraged for people who have something to be able to to share it and help others and so I feel like there's a balance there between realizing the benefit and helping others and um, being there for people and not being so quick to cut out toxic people of your life, right? Like this is slightly different to what you're saying, but I just think it's an interesting topic based on when I look at your story and that person who was in jail with you that completely helped you shift your mindset from victimhood mentality to victor mentality. What are your thoughts? I, I agree with you. And I was having a conversation like this with somebody the other day. We were talking about like social media and there's another popular idea where it's like you should just unfollow people that like trigger you, right? And it's yeah. like, okay, like I think there's room for that. Like I think that like the bulk of the people you spend time with, the bulk of your like energy, you should be spending it with people that are like go get. I mean, if you're if you're a go getter, like and you want to you want to be surrounding yourself for the most part with other go getters, people that are going to elevate you, people that are going to challenge you when maybe you're not doing something right, or or somebody that can like kind of kind of help guide you along the way. Like I, I totally see that, but I think being of service is, is crucial. And that's been something that's been a staple of, of my life over yeah. um, like the last, you know, 13, 14 years or however, yeah. you know, however long it's been. And probably and that, partly because you saw somebody helping you and how much it changed your life. And so you're like, I want to go do the same. Well, yeah, he, I, he said, I said, how can I repay you? And he told me to pay it forward. And back then, I never read a personal development book. I didn't, I didn't know what that really meant, but I was just like, all right, man. But then like, I started to understand what it meant. And I was like, man, this is crazy. Like I love helping people with fitness. And that, that was a big thing for me. And with my cellmate, like that's kind of what he saw in me. Now, if I had been like constantly every single day, like, you know, emotionally like attacking him and stuff like that, then like, I don't think he yeah. would have helped me because there was times where yeah. I pushed back and he was just like, dude, like if you don't want to be helped, then bye. Totally. He yeah, there's, ba there's a balance in any of that because for somebody who's like has somebody in their life that's extremely damaging and it's o over and over and over again and you're trying to either help or be there for them or whatever, like or if someone, you know, is abusing you, right, like in a relationship, like, of course, like you have to 
cut certain ties and cut people out of your life absolutely it's more just the balance of this idea that's taken hold on social media that's like anytime someone does something you don't like or if they're like you know making you uncomfortable basically essentially cut them out of your life <laughs> well i think then that's the, that's a problem right i think when yeah you just assume that somebody if you have the stance that you assume that somebody doesn't agree with you is like dangerous to you yeah yeah that's gonna, super popular right, now you're gonna carry on this mindset that when somebody doesn't agree with you that you should just not spend any time with them where like a lot of the people i spend time with like we might have a lot of common commonalities as far as like maybe like podcasting or you know like liking the podcast personal development um fitness health wellness like that sort of thing but like our our views on society are different like i see the world one way somebody else might see it and then we were able to have like these conversations where because i mean that's the way to, to develop empathy right and to be able to like mm -hmm. see somebody else's side is to like have, com have a conversation and listen and i think the the idea the intent of the um like kind of shielding yourself from the toxicity of certain things is is good the impact i think can be indirectly negative because now like i said like i said you're teaching yourself that people who don't agree with you or, or can potentially be dangerous but also that you you shouldn't like look in the freaking mirror and try to understand like why this is bothering you so much like mm, why like, like for yes. me like just an example if i saw um a guy posting a picture with his wife and two kids and every time i saw that i would go into my room and cry and i would just be like you know what i'm not gonna f all anybody who i know who's married with kids any guy that is a friend of mine that i follow like i'm unfollowing you because it's too painful instead of me being like well wait a minute like why is this painful for me like why is this mm. bothering me so much because mm. then again it just goes back to like the theme of the conversation you're yeah. blaming everybody else for your problems you're blaming everybody else for your emotions you're blaming everybody else for the way that you feel about yourself and you're not taking any time to look in the mirror because and that's the easy thing to do right is to just bypass all of that and i think in this in the world where um where people now on social media it's like it's like the big thing to protect your mental health and everybody mm -hmm. should be loved for who they are and they, everybody needs to be seen and I'm for that. Like you're, I'm here yeah. talking about my mental health struggles. I'm here talking about the importance of taking care of yourself. I'm for that. Mm. But now people, I think have taken it to an extreme where they're, they're just trying to, they're almost like bypassing like the, the obvious they're bypassing the common denominator, common denominator and looking for things to blame other than, than themselves. It's, it's social media. It's that person. It's this person, it's this job. And now I'm just going to, cut 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 and then sure enough all you have is yourself and you're just by mm -hmm. yourself you think yeah. you know everything you shield yourself from certain things and you never like get to the point where you you reach this this level of peace inside of yourself because you've taken the time to look at yourself in the mirror and say man like this is hard a lot of this that i'm seeing is, is really painful for me and i'm also acknowledging like why and that's the difference yeah so what are your thoughts on the idea that, you know, pulling yourself up by your bootstraps mentality or thought process or message is a privileged way to think and that some people are going through 
such hard circumstances, which you mentioned and acknowledged, because of course some people are going through such extremely difficult circumstances that maybe is it possible that a message like that would be too difficult to hear? Or like, what are your just thoughts on that general notion? I mean, I, I definitely think that, and I think I said this, I think people are dealt circumstances that were much, much more challenging than me. I think everybody's situation is different. I can only speak from my own personal experience. I do think that societally, I do think we need some change. I definitely think we need some prison reform. I think mm-hmm. like throwing drug addicts in jail just doesn't, it's not the solution like at all, right? Yeah. We talked about, I talked about that on an episode with um, Dominic Thompson. I don't know if you know who he is, but he's a friend of mine. And we did a whole, a whole episode on like prison system issues and um, his experience in prison as well. And it was a really great episode. I encourage anyone listening to go check it out. I mean, it's, it's, I'm glad you did that because it's so true and it's so needed, right? In that, like, I just think that things need to change. You know, people, they're not getting the, hey, they're not getting the proper rehabilitation. I don't, I don't think when they're behind bars for a long time, when clearly, like, you know, for almost all, I would say, people that are, addicted to drugs like there's something going on inside that's that's hurting it's painful like i think addiction is an internal battle that's often displayed externally so i think that is something that needs to change and i think also like you know i i said that no one's coming to save you and i do i do believe that like i do think that having that mentality is important not because i think it's always true I, like I said, I think you can have some help along the way. I got some help along the way with my grandparents, my cellmate, and other things. I think the reason I think it's so important is because when you relinquish control and power onto somebody else, you lose. Because now you're putting your, all your hopes into things you can't control, and it's in the stuff that you're really powerless over. And you're essentially just giving away any responsibility or accountability, and you then, then you feel like the world is against you and owes you things. And I think you'll start to behave in that way. And I think just really getting good at mastering these mental prisons that we live in when we are in dark times is the way to win that the dark prisons of impulsiveness and wanting to numb the pain instantly or um, acting out in ways that aren't conducive with who we want to be, um, hanging out with people that don't bring the best out on us. I mean, the people that are like, you know, damaging us emotionally and mentally or, um, you know, feeling sorry for yourself, being a victim. And, And the reason that I say that is because like thinking that way doesn't make the situation any better. What can make the situation better and at least give you a chance is, is taking small steps and and, and making different choices. Yeah. And then something I'd want to add to that too, on top of what you said, I love what you said, is that anyone listening who has the ability to help someone else who is going through something very difficult, extreme, having like, like you'd mentioned, some people who have had, there are many people have had even more extreme situations and circumstances growing up, um, childhood abuse or spousal abuse or um, just financial, extreme financial struggles. Like anyone who is listening, if you have the ability to help to do that. And so it's kind of like a two-way fold where like encouraging the people who can help to do that as well as encouraging a victim mindset. And I feel like together 
um, that helps. Somebody should have one, try to get on your podcast is I had on, um, Dr. Edith Eager. Are you familiar with her? She's no. like a 90, I think she might be 94 now, but she, at the time, wow. I think she was a 93 year old Holocaust survivor. Like she survived Auschwitz. Like both of her parents right. were killed like shortly after her getting there. And I remember having a conversation like this with her where, where we were talking about like, like how do you, how do you manage something like that when you're in the thick of it? Yeah. And she said something similar where it was her ability to like really master her mind and that they couldn't take mm. her mind away from her was what saved her mm. life. That was like the one thing they couldn't take. Yeah. And you know, now I think she's a clinical psychologist, I believe, and has written a couple books and, um, what was her name again? I'm gonna have to look into her. Edith Eager. I'll, I'll, I'll text you, uh, her info and I can help try to get you connected. But yeah, I mean, that was like some of the, I think, I believe, I mean, don't, don't quote me on this, but I believe, I think it was somebody in her family. It might've been her mom or somebody told her that they, they couldn't take her mind from her or something like it was something to that effect. And that's how she survived. Right. And like, and I think the message here is that like when you're in these situations, like for, for me, like when I was in jail, if I decided to act violently, I would have gotten the, the crap beaten out of me. Right. You know, I would have probably had every bone in my yeah. body broken and mm -hmm. I would have been put potentially in solitary confinement, gotten new charge, gotten new charges. And I would have been in, in prison for a lot longer. Like how would that have, how would that have served me? Right. That mm. wouldn't have helped. Mm -hmm. And that's that's the lesson, right? Is that situations, circumstances, they freaking suck. It's hard, man. Like, it's so hard to go through some of these things that people go through. But what I think is also hard is is looking back like three, five, ten years later and being like, man, I wish I would have responded differently. Yeah. And that goes for even small or big situations that the way that you respond to something and your mindset, it plays a huge role in the outcome. Totally. And I think we, we can't control, like there's a lot we can't control in life. We can't control what happens tomorrow. We can't control what happens the next day, but there's a lot we, we do can have control over. We have control over how we choose to spend our time for the most part. We, we have control over whether we're going to get some sort of movement in for the day. It doesn't have to be hours at the gym. could be a five-minute walk. could be a hike in nature, whatever. For the most part, we have autonomy and how, who we're going to spend time with. And we've touched on this, but I, I think nutrition isn't just what you eat. It's like who you – like what, what you're watching on TV. It's what you're listening to. It's what you're reading. Um, it's, it's who you're spending time with. And – you don't have to completely shield yourself from things that are negative or, or, or trigger you. But I think like limiting that to the best of your ability and just using it as a, as a way to, to gain some level of self-awareness about yourself and stay informed, I think is important. And like personal development, personal growth to be able to handle, like going back to what you said, that when someone is sharing something that you disagree with, if it's triggering to you, asking yourself why and working on yourself to not be so triggered and be more open to just listen. Right. And, and don't feel like you have to always say something. Like, I think that's like the yeah the world now is like everybody feels like they have to chime in and say something when and maybe they're not even like, an, like they don't really know what they're talking about in some ways, but they're just saying it just to fit in. Right. And I'm not, I'm not saying you shouldn't speak out on something you're passionate about. There's nothing to do with that, but it goes back to this 
level of not knowing who you are, not knowing what your identity is in that, like you just see someone talking about something and then you automatically feel that you should say something because you want to fit in and you might not have any like idea of like what's going on. And sometimes people like, they almost like regret saying something because they almost are like, man, like, I don't know why I said that. Like I was completely, I was completely wrong or I, yeah. I am not a fan of that at all. When I see something blowing up on social media that every influencer chimes in and is like, well, I got to say it too, just so people don't think I'm this X, Y, or Z, as opposed to like, is that, you know, what exactly are you really feeling? Is it, what's your motive and your reason behind what you're sharing? And is it because you're feeling pressure and as opposed to being authentic to who you are? Like, yeah, I'm not a fan of that at all. I mean, I try and st- I, just, I just stay. If I don't know something, I stay out of it. I try to keep myself informed on like all views because it's easy to get caught up in these echo chambers. Yeah. And again, that's the part yeah. of the problem when you like, only follow certain people on social media or you only spend time with certain people is that you end up you end up getting like shielded from like what the reality of what the other half of the world looks like because you're yeah. just so narrow-minded and you're in this you have like tunnel vision because mm. yeah. you only see like what what what's in front of you in the way of the opinions and the, the accounts you follow on social media and a lot of it it just reinforces like what you think you already believe and then it yeah and I, yeah. something i say a lot to people is um if you're saying I, how could someone think X, Y, or Z? I could never understand. I can't even believe that someone would think this. Like, that's not something to be proud of, to not understand why the per, a person who disagrees with you thinks the way that they do. It's, it's actually not very admirable. It's much more admirable to be able to say, hey, I understand how you got there. I at least get, like, why you think that. I disagree, but and here's why. But to just be like, I can't even believe. That just shows your own your own self echo chamber that you're living in that you can't understand why someone got there or why someone thinks the way that they do. Right. And I think I also encourage people to like go spend time like in that place and learn more, right? Like learn more about the culture of whatever it is. Like, you know, I've, I've been fortunate enough to volunteer like in, in the County jails here locally or in the County, excuse me, in the local County jail jail here. Uh, I've been fortunate to volunteer and like homeless shelters and stuff like that. And you learn to, to understand like what people go through that are less fortunate than you. And um, that's how you develop empathy, you know, and compassion and, and really gain also, and also gaining understanding of like, like how, what might work to change things because you begin to actually talk to, to the, to the people or you talk to people, the, you go into the environments of where things are, are not, maybe not good or not ideal and then you like get to see it with your own two not two eyes. You're like, oh, like this is what they need, or this is maybe how, how I can help, or this is where things need to change. Instead of what typically happens is we're on our phones and we see something, or we see a headline, and then we assume that we just know what the answer is to fix it. Instead of like just getting involved somehow, if you're passionate about that cause and, and yeah. putting yourself in that situation to learn from people who are actually in that situation. Oh my gosh, that's such a golden nugget right there. <laughs> I so agree. Yeah. So I guess this is a great segue then for like kind of to round out and finish this discussion. What advice do you have for people listening who feel stuck in their circumstances and have a hard time believing in themselves and their capabilities? So you've talked a lot about that's kind of been the theme through the whole podcast. But like just to end it, like what what would you like to say to them as kind of like a final 
encouragement, I guess. I think the thing is this, is that there's, there's two choices, right? You can, you can kind of count yourself out and you can just assume that your life is going to be like this forever and it's going to always be hard and it's going to suck. Or you can develop this, like whatever it takes mentality, which is kind of what I had to do. Like after I got out of jail where the odds were stacked against me, like I was a convicted felon. I was like newly in recovery, like without being in jail. I had all this, I had, I had debt. I didn't, my resume was very unattractive being, I had so many jobs. All the, I had the world like kind of stacked against me in a way, but I, I was just willing to do whatever it took, whatever it took. I was like, I just knew that if I could do s these certain things, if I could work out, if I could stay away from drugs, if I could, you know, stay away from like the certain people that were in a way like indirectly, like leading me to making bad or influencing me to make bad decisions. If I could just take accountability, self-awareness, like do all these things, it gave me a chance to win. It gave me a chance to get better. And then over time, like what happens is you get one day under your belt, two days, three days. And then you look back, it's like, wow, it's been a week and I've been doing this. Right. And so you can see where I'm going with this. And then over time you start to develop more self-confidence, you start to develop more self-esteem and you start to believe in yourself. Right. Because I think believe, I think believing in yourself like doesn't come from achieving the big thing. Believing in yourself comes from getting back up after each time you fall. Believing in yourself comes from continuing to persevere when the odds are against you. Believing in yourself comes from being able to keep walking when things feel uncomfortable. And and just and just the person listening to this, if you're still alive, you're still here, just know that you're here for a purpose. You're here for some sort of meaning and that it doesn't always have to be this way. And just to keep putting one foot in front of the other. And even though you can't see light right now, even though it seems like really, really dark in your situation and the world seems against you, just keep moving forward one step at a time, one day at a time. And then I don't know when, I don't know how, but light will come. Light will come. But you just have to keep believing in yourself and focus on how far you've come and not how far you have to go. Wow, that was so inspiring. You're going to make me cry. <laughs> I'm going to blame it on my pregnancy. <laughs> I'm doing two weeks, you guys. So <laughs> um, thank you so much for sharing that. And thank you for sharing your story. It's very inspiring. And I know you've helped so many people. So I appreciate you um, coming on to my show. And I hope it resonates and is, in, is really helpful for a lot of people. Well, thanks, Ellen. This has been awesome. And congratulations to you and all your success and kind of what you're doing to, to shine light in the world. And um, thanks for having me. And then hopefully, if you're listening to this, hopefully this resonated with you. Hopefully you uh, were inspired. And also maybe like you just got some nuggets on maybe some things you can do differently if you are in that place where you're, you're feeling like a victim or you're feeling like um, like the world is against you. I mean, I, I, I've been there. I get it. And I know what didn't help me. What didn't help me was feeling that way because it essentially counted me out of the game because I just assumed my life was going to suck forever. So I just didn't even try. And I blamed everybody else for my problems. But when I started to take these small steps, like they started to add up into like big changes and like just, it could just be as simple as like going outside for a five minute walk. And then what happens? You're going to go outside for that five minute walk and you're going to feel better. You're going to come back in. You're like, wow, like I'm feeling better for two reasons. One, because I'm doing something that I probably knew I should have done a long time ago. If you're somebody who hasn't gotten a lot, a lot of movement in Two, maybe in previous days, 
you would have like reached for a beer or vegged out on the couch watching Netflix to just kind of check out. And you're proud of yourself now for using a healthy coping mechanism to deal with life. And three, you're going to get like the, the feel good chemicals that come with moving your body. And so you're going to be like, all right, I want to do more of this. So maybe like the next week you do seven minutes, the next week you do 10 and then like three months go by and now you've, you've, you've run a freaking 5k. But did it again, did it start with you just getting off the couch and going to run a 5k? No, it just started with five minutes, small goals, focus on what you can control. Um, make sure that the people you're spending time with are bringing the best out on you and not just like patting you on the back, but checking you and challenging you when you're acting out of line, never stop believing in yourself. Know that um, you are going to do great things and I think good things will happen. Amazing. Thank you, Doug. Cool. I think this is a great place to end it and I really appreciate everything you shared. Thanks, Ellen. This was awesome.